Uh, Scott, um, you and I came from a distribution world and we believe that the distributor is in a perfect position right now to execute on all these predictions. We were talking about it, all of Jay's predictions. You can rewrite them. Uh, and in fact, what iasset.com have done is, in the absence of a retention strategy, uh, wrote LIPS, uh, the LIPS strategy, Lend, Invest, Protect, Surrender, uh, so that the uh, you know installed asset lifecycle management platform can execute on that strategy. I'm going to ask you to respond to what Jay just said because it's the perfect response in terms of what what LIPS actually is. So, from my point of view, any of the channel partners or indeed the vendors that don't have that land invest protect surrender or the TSIA version is land adopt expand renew is going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Now, to Jay's point, the influencers don't necessarily have to sit across all of those layers to, you know, there are influencers for customer retention, there's influencers for net new sales. It's how do you join those to you as an organization, whether you're a reseller, distributor or a vendor, to make sure that you, because to Jay's point, you've got to cut checks, but how do you track what the response is to those checks? You can't just throw money willy-nilly, they'll shut you down, or the CFO will get fired. You've got to get the link back to say, yes, I know that partner influenced that deal and we made that much money out of it and there's the loop, the feedback mechanism. And it doesn't matter what company you are, if you don't have the feedback mechanism, you don't know whether you're being successful. So um, you really need to put your arms around that whole product lifecycle piece and then build in wherever the influencers are going to attach to that particular model. So... Going back to distribution again, um, you know my thoughts, and that is that the distributor is the modern channel service provider and can execute on all these transactions, whether it's IT, OT, integrated, industrial IoT, all of that, because their expertise is in being able to handle mega transactions. Um, the value-based ones uh understand also that their job has always been to at least it was for our old company to build un unsolicited proposals to keep their partners busy right um as the new technology which is not emerging anymore it's here starts to become prevalent in in terms of the narrative of the end customer uh what would you what would it, what should distributors be looking at at the moment if you were going to start a distributor today not again not again four, <laughs> Humor me, just humor me, because we've got Jay here, to, and Jay's going to like determine whether this model is going to be right or wrong. All right? right, just humor me here. If you are going to start a distributor today, based on the fact that I think that they are in the most brilliant position they've ever been, all right, and and and, and why wouldn't you? What would that distributor look like? Well, quite obviously, the underlying transactional platforms are the first things I do. And it doesn't matter whether I start a distributor in 1990 or now, the first thing up is an ERP system because if you don't have ERP, you need to know your financial position at any second. The second thing I do quite obviously is plug an ISA.com platform in because I need to track every transaction that happens. The next thing I do is get my cloud orchestration piece running because if you're a distributor, you can't touch very high frequency, low value transactions physically ever. That is a relationship cell and then the underlying transactions run operationally. Um, and then I would go very, very hard on the, um, again, the unsolicited proposal piece, but I'd be focusing very much on surrender because I think there's a whole market sitting in EOL or EOX, EOS, whatever you want to call it, 
that is just missing out on a translation to consumption or other technologies um, so that I'd cover all of that. But the most important thing that distributors, I think, today miss is they are the, the where data coalesces in a channel transaction in, transactional environment. They have more data coming in from vendors and resellers and, and POS from end customers, and they don't do anything with it. They seriously don't do anything with it. They might comply to report up to the manufacturer, but that's really it. So I'd be doing what I did at DC. I'd be manipulating that data to make sure my reseller stayed stuck to me, my vendor stayed stuck to me, and the end users were uh, better utilizing the technologies that they bought through my channel. Yeah. Then I'd go to market with the extra pieces, which is the influencer piece, and I'd be looking for you know the big four to help influence deals out there. I'd be looking at some of the... Um, third-party maintenance providers surrounding me to do the maintenance pieces. So I, you know, I always build organizations to get the extra fry with the burger, wherever that exists, the shake, the fries, the, the apple pie. I want to be in charge of that whole transaction, but most importantly, I want to trap all the data that runs through there. Yeah, Jay, what do you reckon? Because, um, because of my background, so many, and sitting on so many global advisory councils for distributors, uh, for vendors as a distributor, um, it's clear to me, and Scott talked to it brilliantly, that uh, the distributor has to do what everyone else is doing, and that's do digital transformation, transform digitally, right? What kind of conversations are you having with distributors around that? Yeah, I think this is where the, uh, this uh, session gets controversial, because I don't agree with your statement that they're in a good position right now, or a brilliant position. I think they're in a horrible position. And let me kind of walk through the reasons why. Number one, their line card today, many of them are big public fortune 500 companies. I get to look at their line items in their financials. What makes up 80% of their revenue today are flat or declining product lines. Mm -hmm. Like Cisco buys a new software company every day to broaden their portfolio to yeah. get away from the networking hardware that's flat to declining for the next decade. The same goes for IBM and Dell and HP and all the way to HPE, all the way down the line. 80% of their revenue today is flat or declining. Well, guess what? COVID, now it's 16 to 17% declining for the next 12 months. Not great. Now, second, the customer. 25% of partners in the best of times, we're talking before COVID, December, were losing money or struggling to break even. 40% of partners are at the point of retirement. COVID's going to delay this a bit, but CompTIA said that 40% of the channels retiring in the next four years. Yeah. So you've got an aging population out there that's not replacing itself. The new partners born in the cloud and the new integrators and the aggregators and brokers and ISVs and MTech and all this wonderful ecosystem are non-transacting partners and they're not coming in to start resellers or VARs or MSPs today at scale. Obviously there, there's growth there, but you know, far out passing. So if you're, a, if you're a credit and capital facility or a bank and a quarter of my customers lose money and 40% of them are retiring soon and maybe be a little bit disengaged, that's a little bit of a challenge. Next is the market. You know, I just spent time with the distributor today. We went through 200 categories of products by growth rate. So that Azure number and the AWS and Google numbers that I mentioned were up 47%. Well, only 20% of that goes through the channel and only about 10% of that goes through distribution. 
So in the fastest growing categories, in that RPA number I gave you, 5,000% growth, 10% of that goes through the channel, almost 0% of that today goes through the distribution. Mm -hmm. So in all of the bright spots we have in COVID right now are the places, other than some examples like UCAS and security and things, but most of the examples are places that distribution isn't doing what they do best. They're, they're stuck on the places that are infrastructure driven and declining by double digits. So in a marketplace world, I posted a stat last week that marketplaces have grown more in the last three months than they have in the last 10 years combined. In a marketplace world where there's 20 super winners, it will be AWS and Microsoft and, and Google. It will be Salesforce and ServiceNow and Workday and Marketo and NetSuite. It will be others like Amazon for Business and Alibaba. IBM, Oracle, SAP will also be winners. But in the 20 winners, there's a very tough distribution element there, which there could be some hardware that they partner with and distribute. But the value of the distributor, which is the marketing, the sales, the engineering, the DevOps, pulling all this together, that value is actually going to go to the marketplace. The supply chain, the logistics, the distribution centers, all of that's going to become a commodity that a distributor is going to be competing with UPS or competing with FedEx or competing with DHL or these big logistics houses, or they could be competing with Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, I would have said, was their bigger one. Yeah. So what happens is a lot of the core of their business, supply chain, logistics, distribution, uh, banking, will go out to com competitors at a commodity level. So it won't be profitable. It'll be basis points at best that they'll be winning that business at. So in a marketplace world, which I just said grew you know, more in the last three months than the last 10 years, there's a very hard place for a distributor to to succeed in that environment. So the big marketplaces won't just be software. They're adding all the services and consultants into the marketplace. They're adding all of internet of things and, and hardware, but that's where the value is going to be. Ecosystems, here's another issue, is it's not linear anymore. Distributors have spent almost 40 years hiding behind their customer, who is the partner. Well. That's a problem in ecosystems because ecosystems aren't linear. They're celestial. Yep. And when a well-educated, knowledgeable customer makes a decision, they build a seven-layer, on average, that's a real number, stack to solve their problem. And an educated customer is going to be very detailed about who is adding value at every step along the way. And that customer should be looking at distribution, looking at the value they create, which is a lot, and making sure they're part of the deal and not hidden behind anyone else in that chain. So Intel in the 1980s had a brilliant idea of putting a sticker on every PC you buy so that my kids that are in college know who Intel are. Well, these big distributors are Fortune 500 companies who have spent 40 years and my kids have no idea who they are. Yeah. So being hidden in an ecosystem is the worst possible thing you can do. And I, I tell every distributor this, I tell Frank at GDTC, I, I tell everybody who will listen. But the fact of the matter is they continue to want to hide behind and pick up table scraps of partners who are picking up table scraps of the biggest and fastest growing technology areas, Internet of Things, all the emerging tech. I mean, just table scraps today. 
And it's absolutely the wrong way forward. They have to break out of that. It's not competing with your customer. It is augmenting and driving an ecosystem, intra-firm value creation between the distributor yep. partner in front of the customer. Yeah, and then finally, the biggest problem they have, forget about it, the rest of the six problems, is permutations. <laughs> I just talked about a million software companies. I talked about every company in every industry becoming a tech services firm. Millions of them today will be tens of millions of companies tomorrow. I talked about 800,000 emerging tech companies. If you start multiplying, there's 35 million customer opportunities by buyer, by geography, by industry, by sector, by segment, by product. If you multiply all five of those numbers together, you're in the Googleplex. This is an AI problem, not a distribution problem. It's not a supply chain logistics. When I worked at IBM, they solved a very big problem for me. They got my 11,000 SKUs to 70,000 partners and drop shipped. It was a wonderful solution, one that we couldn't solve as a company. Well, in this new world, with you know, trillions of permutations on every deal, AI is gonna be putting together the collaboration, the team, and all of the different elements to be able to make a solution and an outcome. And you know, a future model like you know, a Pax8 or a SureWeb or more of these AI-driven companies is going to be a winner as opposed to somebody who ships atoms. It's gonna to yep. go to the people who ship bits. And the, the, the permutations and combinations here, the, just the raw math takes it out of a human-based supply chain logistics problem. That's my rant. You know, I almost want to, uh, want to wait till I tell you that I agree with everything because I just wanted to keep it a little bit controversial because it is, it is quite exciting. But the problem is that I agree with everything that you say because... Um, when I say they're in a great position, where they sit is in a great position, uh, not what they're doing, because um, what they're doing is, is, is everything you said uh, and why that's a problem. And many will, uh, and Scott will attest to this, many will disagree with you and me about, about this. And that's okay because, you know, when we built Distribution Central, um, there was apparently no space for a distributor that ended up doing 700 million in one country. And um, we didn't do commodities, but we didn't make money just off the products that we distributed. <laughs> and it was where iasset.com was built out of, right? And suddenly, uh, you know, the, 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 the position is perfect because it's in the perfect position of multiple influence and the perfect position of being able to, to if, yeah, sure, if you want that entity to do the transaction, they need to be able to do that too. If you want that entity to do the logistics, yeah, they have to be able to do that too. But it doesn't matter because they're making money out of what they're influencing and what they're influencing is contemporary ways for an end customer to solve their business problems. And that is the key. And there's so many steps removed. So it becomes even more important for that super influencer. It used to be, and, and where I agree with you is, you know, um, if, if all you're doing is credit and, and, and logistics, you're screwed. If all, if, if you don't even, that is like, you know, one of those things that we do, but so what? And, uh, and if you can get it cheaper elsewhere, good, I don't care. But, you know, if you want us to do everything for you and be full service, great. But it's all that, all that other stuff, right? And that's why um, it's important for me to continue to 
I mean, you know, the reality is, as you know, JR was taking a year off, and when um, and when I uh, when I couldn't travel because of COVID, you know, I get together with my mate Scott. And the next thing I know, you know, it's a bit like that old Remington ad. I was so impressed, you know, I bought into the company because I couldn't help myself saying, "This is Channel now," as and and, and the ability to execute blew me away that the strategy didn't exist. So that's why I agree with everything that you said purely because that position still needs to be taken by someone and the distributor is already in that position because they already have the relationships. They just need to turn those relationships into contemporary influencer relationships. Scott, which bit about what we're talking about do you agree or disagree with? Uh, no, I, I fundamentally agree with everything Jay said, which is why I built the platform in the first place because Distribution Central was never going to grow on vendors to flat to reducing. I mean, we took a lot of smaller vendors on that were, had high growth rates, but you know, in dollar terms, they're tiny. The thing that um, has been always important to me, and this is back to you know, 2004 when we started and 2008 when I pushed ISET out on its own, was this platform was built for ecosystems. It's just, I've been waiting for the ecosystem to catch up with the platform, right? And that's where we're starting to accelerate now. Where you've got these influencer channels, you need to, as I said before, get the feedback piece happening. If you're doing partner co-sales and all the rest of it, you need somewhere to report back. And to Jay's point, I think most of the distributors now, the globals, are struggling. They, they're, too, they're almost too big to change. The innovation piece, the, you know, the thing that I was excited about the other day was um, Tech Data got their acquisition completed. Their first announcement was we're going to go through digital transformation. That's music to my ears. I mean, there's a massive opportunity for a transformed distributor out there in the market space. Um, so I agree with everything Jay says. I'm, I'm not one of those advocates of it's the death of distribution. It's just distribution has to change for the market conditions and hopefully ahead of the market conditions. I'd, I'd say the, the statement too big to change, and I want your input here too, Jay, um, too big to change. I think so big that they can dominate. All they have to do is change, as opposed to too big to change. I think if they're too big to change, then they're run by the wrong people. <laughs> they're so big that they are in a perfect position to change, and therefore they'd be run by the right people. Yeah, here's a, here's, a funny, here's a funny story. Uh, so the CEO of Tech Data was my boss at IBM. Okay. And I was scratching my head because I was running the channel for IBM PCs. And I'm starting to scratch my head to say, why would IBM hire an accountant to run the PC company at IBM? And um, I got my answer six months later when it was leaked in the New York Times that we were sold to Lenovo. <laughs> so... You know, Rich Hugh made the, you know, and Sam Palmazano and all the people uh, up high in IBM at the time made the right decision that there wasn't a transformation that needed to happen. It was actually um, uh, an asset disposition. So in the case of tech data, I, I think they've got the best person at the top to go spend $750 million on a full up and down. And they've got the right private ownership and money behind the scenes to make all this work. Yeah. So. You know, private equity in this case, you know, with Ingram and Tech Data and Cynix and all the ones down the line is a godsend to be able to go and do the work. You know, Dell pulled themselves private for a while to go do this as well. Mm. Uh, it's transformation that needs to happen. Like I mentioned, it, it affects every line in the balance sheet and the P&L. 
and it's very tough to do uh, in the public. So going one level down, service providers now, um, who right today, rightly or wrongly, rely on the distributor or the vendor or both in order for them to survive, they need to digitally transform as well, right? Because they need to do all the things you're talking about in the, in the influencer channel. Uh, I guess the same rule, rule applies. Uh, if they're public, they can't. If they're, if they're, if they, is that true? Yeah, well, there's not that many public um, solution providers. And, you know, some of the public ones that are system integrators today have already done the transformation and got themselves well positioned. You know, for every solution provider on the planet, whether you're a small, you know, single person in a white van or you have 100 people or 1,000 people, you've got to look at the same list of 200 categories that you have, you know, skills or knowledge of. You have to look at your customers. You have to look at all these things. and you know, really plan for the future of your business. Mm -hmm. And so in the cloud today, now that it's 20 years old, it's, it's mature. It's not yeah. a new thing. We know that every dollar a Salesforce kicks out $4.65. We know that there's products at Microsoft that kick out $9 for every dollar that Microsoft sells. These pie charts are published. 64% of that goes in professional services. In that 64%, these products have to be installed and implemented and integrated. They have to be secured and compliant. Business continuity and the governance and the data, all of these tech services are there. Accenture is now bigger than IBM. They have 450,000 people. Their business model, and they acquire like three companies a day, digital agencies and accountants, they acquire these companies that have practices built around these 35 million customer conversations. And so that's the business model that the smallest solution provider can follow. I call on mid-sized clinics in Scotland with 50 doctors. How do I go get 80% share of those clinics, but how do I drive more dollars into all the elements of a clinic? Not only the medical records and the medical devices and the patients, but getting into the marketing and the sales and the operations and the finance, the HR, all of the elements of that clinic. And how do I go chase that $5 at 75% margins? And at that point in time, the epiphany hits that I don't really, my business model isn't really around the 20% margin I make on that medical device. It's the $5 of revenue I kick out for every dollar they spend to that right. company in making it all work. And because of subscription, every 30 days of renewal forever, this is the biggest managed service ever. Even though it's a project-based business, it just never ends. Yep. And that's the model of the future. And you know, I think iAsset is perfectly uh, positioned, you know, given this new ecosystem value, given this new market, and given this trifurcated channel that you can automate given these uh, more advanced tools that we've never had before. Scott, it, my, what Jay said just then, it's almost that I can guarantee everyone we've never had this conversation together before. I can, I promise you that. Um, this is the stuff that Scott and I, Jay, Scott and I have been talking about recently, exactly what you just said. Um, and therefore, um, you know, uh, what is iasset.com's extended position in this, you know, growing ecosystem? And, you know, do we have to chop ourselves up and present ourselves to the market in three or four different ways. 
Um, you know, we're, we're, we're having those conversations right now because in particular, it starts to talk to what potentially one of the biggest channel players could look like. And you mentioned Accenture. And I say like the Accentures and the Capgeminis and the KPMGs, PWCs, Deloitte's, and I've probably forgotten one, um, uh, in a perfect position because so many vendors and so many other and, and service providers say that I've got a seat on the board. Bullshit. The only people that have got a seat on the board is the board. All right. And, and someone might have an ear with the board and that someone is who manages risk. And that's it. No one else does. And the only people that manage risk are the companies that I just rattled off. So in terms of the ecosystem and the influencer, if they aren't on your list, if you're a channel player right now and they aren't on your list, you're going to miss out big time. Right. And, um, we, we talk about what is the best way to be able to use those essentially traditional accounting slash risk companies. What would your advice be, Scott and Jay? Because oh, we, we're going on forever. We could go on forever. I need to close this and hopefully we can you know, have part two of this one day, Jay, because this has been absolutely valuable. And I know that we're going to get smashed with, um, with requests after this. But I do want to leave it at that point. So I might I might take this first and let Jay wrap up, given he's so, been so generous with his time. Um, I have always had the view that the entire channel is like lily pads on a pond. There's all these isolated data silos sitting everywhere that to, if joined together, they are worth a massive amount of money and reduced cost to transact. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give everyone control of their little lily pad but connect to all the other lily pads to end up with your influence, your trifurcated channel. The vendor can see data all the way through to end customer. End customer can see your data all the way. And in fact, Jay, to your point about distributors, um, you know, making noise about they're in the channel as well as value. You know, we can broadcast that because the entire channel transaction can be presented to an end customer, to a reseller, to a distributor, but they've still got control of their lily pads and what their value is to the market. So that's, I mean, that's really what we're all about. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I don't envision a lily pad, which I'm going to think more about, but I envision, <laughs> I think it's celestial. Yeah. When you look out at the stars, there's first thing to understand in an ecosystem, there's no center of the universe. Mm. Even though there's some countries and some people who think they're the center of the universe, <laughs> it doesn't exist in an ecosystem. The fact is, is there are powerful stars and star systems and galaxies in the universe things that rotate. I just mentioned how many rotate around Microsoft, mm. but they're not the center of the universe. They're just another set of things that you see out in the sky. The future of ecosystems is generated by the customer. When I talked about those different elements and the 35 million conversations that customers are having to solve their problems, they're looking out and they're building their own network. Today, it's five influencers. We know the number that are influencing them to the point of vendor selection to a vendor, to a distributor, to everyone else looking to profit in an ecosystem, your ability to predict when the stars and moons align and predict right before that happens are going to be the winners. The ones that use data, the ones that use AI and predictive and prescriptive tools, because every single deal is gonna be a different alignment. And the players and how it all works, it, it is random or chaos theory at best, but you can actually get to the point where you can handle something with that many permutations and be able to win. 
And that's why it's not linear and it's not programmatic and it's not, it's getting out of human based abilities to, to do this in any other way that at, you know, the level of scale that we've never seen before. So that's where I'll, that's where I'll end off. And, you know, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm excited about this market. And, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't know company names like Marketo and Eloqua and HubSpot and Acton and Pardot. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Companies like Oracle and Salesforce and Adobe bought those companies. And today they're household names. Yep. So today we're talking about companies like iAsset and others on the channel tech stack that no one's ever heard of. Well, guess what? 10 years from now, when those bigger companies start to take notice and when we fulfill this dream of this third stage, which covers 75% of world trade, well, hopefully people will go back to this video and back to this podcast <laughs> and you know, hopefully we will have got some of this right. I absolutely think that we're uh, totally getting it right because uh, I can see a lot of this already playing out. What I would say, Jay, is uh, it's important to be in that, uh, be in a position where you can, uh, because of, uh, because you're informing, you're predicting, and you're informing. So anyone who can who can predict well, um, got to make sure that you're not a one-hit wonder as well, because unless you can execute constantly, based on that prediction, so what? All right. Otherwise, you have no, you have no, um, your predictions can never be validated. Um, but thank you so much for your time. We've, we will do this in a few parts because we're not going to cut any of it out. It's just so valuable. Uh, you've been very generous and you've been tremendous, Jay. We really appreciate it. And Scott, as always, um, the practical side of it uh, is all important to me and to, to everyone that, that watches the channel. Uh, and thank you for those insights and both of you for being so honest, you know, in this. It's really, really awesome to get that, that honest um, uh, input. Um, until next time, hey, thanks a lot, yeah. guys. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we will have uh, in the show notes, we will have a lot of that Forrester research and links to that research and Jay's work in that. And, of course, the LIPS documents and things like that. So uh, feel free to go nuts. And until next time, thank you very much. Thanks, Jay. Thanks very much. I do.